Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, By the way, if we haven't met yet, my name is Greg. I'm one of the elders here at Restoration Church. And uh, if, you get, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to uh, the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 4 today uh, in the book of Jonah, continuing our series going through uh, verse by verse through the book. And uh, I've titled today's sermon, A Lesson on Love, A Lesson on Love. Every week, uh, we've been focusing on a certain characteristic of God. And so over chapter 1, we really focused in on his sovereignty Uh, Chapter 2, we looked at his mercy. Chapter 3, his grace. And uh, today, we're really going to hone in on God's love. God's love. Also, a quick recap of the narrative, uh, as I'm sure many of you know. Uh, Jonah was called to preach to Nineveh, but he disobeyed God. He ran away. And, uh, and then God humbled him through various means, such as the storm when they were on the boat, and then the fish that Jonah was in for three days. And then most recently, in our chapter uh, 3, uh, we saw that Jonah finally obeyed God, went to preach to Nineveh, and uh, Nineveh actually repented, and so God relented of bringing the judgment on them that he was going to bring. Now that leads us uh, to our text today in chapter 4, so let's go ahead and read it together uh, in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen behind me as well. Jonah chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We pray today, God, that you would move powerfully. You would speak powerfully to our hearts through this text through Jonah chapter 4, God, that you would help us to see your love, that you would help us to, to learn what we can apply to our lives, and really may we just draw closer to you this morning 
through the preaching of your word. And may you be honored and glorified today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I want to open up uh, with a quick question. Uh, who here enjoys roller coasters? Who likes roller coasters by show of hands? Oh, man, we got a lot more than I thought. All right, so we got some adrenaline seekers in here. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm pretty neutral towards roller coasters or amusement park rides. Like, I don't desire to go ride them. Uh, but when I do, I usually have fun, uh, usually. And uh, there were um, a few years ago, Megan and I, with some friends, we went to uh, Six Flags. And we rode all the roller coasters we could that were open. And uh, there was this one roller coaster, though, that I don't know if I'll ever ride again, to be honest. <laughs> you can call me a wimp or whatever you want. But the, the way you're seated, it's like you're on the outside of the track, and you're just hanging there. And there's only one little thing, like, just holding you up. And so you're on the outside of the track, and there's all these spins and drops, and I've just never been on anything like that. It was like 10% fun, 90% terrifying for me. <laughs> just, I'm just hoping that this thing doesn't fail and I just go flying off. But uh, our text today uh, is much like a roller coaster. There's a lot of emotional highs, emotional lows for Jonah, and uh, everything in between. And so, uh, and really, our, the whole book has been like that, but this chapter especially. And um, the, whole, the whole book uses this word in the Hebrew, gadol, and it means great. So there's a lot of great ups and great downs, and it's used 12 times in the book of Jonah. And uh, the word gadol is used to take something to another level. So it's not just that you're sad, it's that you're greatly sad. It's not just that you're happy, you are exceedingly happy. You're very happy. And in our final chapter today, uh, gadol is used three times. Uh, like I said, as we're going to see this roller coaster of great highs and great lows uh, continue. Now, amidst the final chapter of Jonah is this uh, entertaining drama, but there's also this powerful lesson that God is teaching on love. And he's really teaching it about himself, that God is love. God is love. That's the characteristic we're going to focus on this morning. And that's my goal, is to show you how God's love is woven through chapter 4 in Jonah. And to simplify how I'm going to approach today's message, uh, if you're taking notes, uh, we're going to break down this chapter into three headings or three sections. And so that'll just make it easier to organize and really see how God expresses his love in each of these three uh, sections of the text. So let's go ahead and jump into the first section of Jonah chapter 4 that we'll be discussing, which is Jonah's prayer. Jonah's prayer. It's really in verses 1 through 4. But uh, we'll just go ahead and read verse 1 to start as it's the setup to his prayer. Verse 1 said, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So the natural question to ask as we're picking up the narrative again is, uh, what displeased Jonah exceedingly? What was it that made Jonah angry? Well, at the end of the previous chapter, if you remember, uh, the people of Nineveh had repented of their sins, placed their faith in God in hopes that he would turn away from judgment, and God did. So the people of Nineveh repented, and God relented. And then that takes us right into our verse today, with Jonah being displeased exceedingly. So what was it that angered him or displeased him? It was that the Ninevites received mercy from God. 
The fact that God did not destroy Nineveh was what displeased Jonah exceedingly. Again, that word for exceedingly, I mentioned before, is gadol, meaning great. So he's not just, you know, a little bit upset. He's greatly displeased. He is very unhappy. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And actually, uh, based on the literal Hebrew, some translations even say that it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. So not only is Jonah unhappy about Nineveh being saved, but there's also this sense that Jonah thinks it's wrong that God gave the Ninevites mercy. And of course, that's a foolish mental state to be in and a very pompous attitude to say that God is wrong in what he's doing, but that's where Jonah's at. And so out of this attitude of anger and bitterness, Jonah begins his prayer to God, which is the bulk of the first section we're talking about. So let's read his prayer. It's in uh, verses 2 and 3. And it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Wow, pretty dramatic, right, at the end there. This is one of the lowest lows that Jonah's experiencing on this roller coaster ride. In verse 2, he's basically saying, God, isn't this what I said would happen? It's like you can hear the complaining tone in his voice, like he's saying, God, I didn't want them to receive mercy. I wanted to see them destroyed. Now you're messing up my plans. It's almost like a whiny kid who's upset because they didn't get what they wanted for dinner. Like, I don't want chicken and green beans. I wanted to go to McDonald's, right? I'm being a little trivial there, but you can sense that immature, selfish kind of attitude that Jonah's uh, giving there in his prayer. And um, isn't it interesting, though, that in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, Jonah was actually getting the character of God completely correct. I mean, he's a, he's a prophet after all, so he should know a little something about God. But isn't it interesting to think that his theology about God's character is right on point, yet he in himself is still so far from the heart of God? I think we can see some application for us right there that uh, we can know a lot about God, we can have perfect theology in our head about God, but it doesn't mean we're always walking in step with that truth or how God wants us to walk. So yes, it's critical we know the truth about who God is, but it's also critical for us to ensure our lives and our hearts are lining up with that truth. In this case, the very fact that Jonah knew who God was was the reason why he chose to run away from God originally uh, Jonah says in verse 2, I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Why? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah was saying, God, I knew that you're a God of love and grace. And so I knew if I went to preach to Nineveh and they repented, you would show them that love and grace. That's just according to your character. It's just according to who you are, right? That was Jonah's attitude. He knew it, but he didn't like it very much. Now, there's also uh, something much deeper going on uh, with these verses, the way Jonah is describing God's character. The specific phraseology he's using in his prayer 
It's actually a common confession throughout the Old Testament about who God is. And it's really amazing when you see this. The first appearance of this same description of God is found in Exodus 34, verse 6, when God was revealing his glory to Moses. And I just want to read it real quick so you can see the parallel with our text today. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord passed before him, talking about Moses, and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So you can see the parallel there, and it shows us that originally this statement about God's character came from God himself. It is God who revealed and described his character in this same way to Moses and indirectly to the Israelites, to the whole world, and to us. And it was such an impactful statement that it echoed throughout the scriptures over and over For example, uh, the same or similar expression can be found in the book of Numbers, in the Psalms, in Nahum, in Micah, in Joel, and now in our text today in Jonah. Now, why is that important? What does it really even matter that God began this description of himself and that it's been repeated over and over through the scriptures? Well, number one, it gives us confidence that God truly is who he says he is. He is patient. He is kind. He is loving towards us. It's not just that someone made up this concept about, oh, God is love. You know, we hear it even in our culture today. But this originally came from God. It was God himself who told us who he was. And others have held on to that truth throughout the ages, as we see in the scriptures. And so we, too, should hold on to that truth of God's great love and faithfulness towards us. And a second reason this is important is, um, have you ever heard someone say, or like an atheist say, you know, the God of the Old Testament is just a harsh God of wrath and judgment, but the God of the New Testament is just a God of love and grace, right? It's a contradiction. I even heard, um, you know, when I was in high school, one of my classmates uh, mentioned that. That was even before I was a Christian, but I still remember it. And she was using that same argument, like Old Testament God of wrath, Old, uh, New Testament God of love. But the scriptures themselves totally debunk that claim because God's love and justice are both described consistently throughout the whole Bible. It's one unified message about who God is. All right, well, now that we dug really deep on that part of his prayer, the next verse, uh, verse three, is simply but sadly, Jonah making a request for God to take his life. This again shows how desperately hateful Jonah was towards the Ninevites. He would literally, or rather literally die than see them receive mercy. Talk about hatred in your heart. If you recall in chapter 1, Jonah asked to die then too when he asked the sailors to cast him into the sea when the boat was rocking and the storm was coming on the boat. And so, uh, and later in the chapter, uh, we're going to see that Jonah asked to die again. Like, it's better for me to just die, God. And so it seems to be a pattern throughout the book, Uh, but despite Jonah's uh, suicidal hatred and depression, God demonstrates his love for Jonah by preserving his life, and he also demonstrates his love for Nineveh by preserving Jonah's life time and time again. So God doesn't grant him that request, but rather God responds with a simple question. Look at uh, God's response in verse 4. He says, do you do well? 
to be angry? Are you morally right, Jonah, for responding this way? That's how God responds. Isn't that such grace and kindness when God asks that question in such simple terms, especially to someone who has been so bitter and rebellious and angry, especially towards God? If it was me, I would feel the urge to maybe respond with a little more anger, like, Jonah, you got to be kidding me. You want you, you wanted to receive mercy, you wanted to be saved from the fish, and you want comfort, but then you don't want others to be saved, you know, or at least not Nineveh. I would, I would feel a little more emotion, I feel like, in my response towards him. But no, God, who is full of love and who is slow to anger, simply asks, do you do well to be angry? Though the question is simple and short, it goes straight to the heart and the root of the issue, which was Jonah's hypocrisy, his selfishness, and foolish anger. Now, Jonah either doesn't respond or his response is not recorded, but either way, Jonah's silence in the passage speaks loudly that he still didn't agree with God showing Nineveh compassion. And that's the end of his prayer. That's the end of the conversation between God and Jonah at this point in the book. And remember, this is all under our first heading of Jonah's prayer. And um, now, what, what can we learn from this section in Jonah chapter 4? Well, there's a lot I could point out, but I'll just mention two things uh, briefly that we can take away for our lives today. And number one is how to pray, how to pray. Surprisingly, this passage shows us many good examples of what we should be doing in prayer, we actually just had our Restoration Youth class. Uh, some of you were there uh, this past Thursday, and we talked about a little bit of what Jonah's doing in prayer, which is good. He's expressing his emotions in prayer. He's acknowledging God, who his character is in prayer, and he's making a request. And the Bible says to do all those things, right? It says, cast your cares on God because he cares for you. So we should express our emotions. And in Jesus's Our Father prayer model that he gave us to to show us how to pray, he starts it out with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he recognizes God's character. And then uh, also in Jesus' prayer model, he teaches us to make requests, to ask for our daily needs like bread, forgiveness, protection, right? So Jonah's making requests. Now, if Jonah is doing all these good things that we should do in prayer, what is he missing? What is Jonah missing in his prayer? Because there's obviously something wrong, right? You could say love for others, and you'd be totally right. I would 100% agree with you. But there's another vital element that I see that Jonah is missing in his prayer, and it's this. He's missing contentment with God's will. Contentment with God's will. Jesus also taught us how to pray by saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning we always want to ultimately align ourselves with God's will and God's desires in prayer. Yes, it's very good for us to express emotions and, and let our requests be made known to God. Those are essential in prayer. But we must also constantly submit those emotions and those requests to the ultimate authority and decision of God's will. We need to be content with entrusting the outcome of all things to God because he's good, right? He knows best. 
He's described his character us, character to us. He's loving and faithful, so we can trust him. If you've ever thought or prayed, God, how could you allow this to happen in my life or someone else's life? You're not alone. Jonah was in that same place. But if you find yourself in that place, always, always resolve your prayer by entrusting the outcome to God, no matter how difficult it may be, because he's in control. He's faithful, like I just mentioned. He loves you. He'll work out the situation for good, though we may not see see how. All right, so that was the first practical thing that we can learn from this section of the text, how to pray. And the second thing we can learn and apply to our lives is how to correct, how to correct. So how to pray and how to correct. And what do I mean by that? Well, God is demonstrating what it looks like to correct and teach someone in this passage. Uh, God is showing an example that we can implement and we can follow in our lives when we're trying to correct or teach someone else. I mentioned uh, at the beginning of my message that uh, the title is God's Lesson on Love, right? A lesson on love, and that's exactly what God is doing in this passage with Jonah. And how does God, as Jonah's instructor, begin his lesson? Well, he asks a question. He asks a question. And isn't that a prominent tool in the arsenal of good teachers to ask questions to their students? My wife is an eighth grade math teacher, and not just any eighth grade math teacher. She's a Pride uh, 2023 Pride of Peoria winning eighth grade math teacher, which is uh, an award that only goes to the 1% of, of teachers in the entire district and was the only one at her school. So, yeah, my wife's pretty cool, and she's a very good teacher, and uh, she honestly deserves that award for sure. I'm a proud husband, can't you tell? <laughs> yeah, let's give it up for her. Let's give it up for her. Pride of Peoria winning teacher. She deserves it. But she's a good teacher, and she will tell you that one of the main things that she does in her classroom is nonstop asking questions to her students. And uh, she does this to help them think through the topic themselves, help them to discover the answer on their own, because it's much more meaningful that way when you're thinking through it. If she just information dumps on her students for 90 minutes straight, do you think the students will uh, retain or understand that material very well? Probably not, right? So she asks questions. She, she gets them in on the discovery process of understanding what she's trying to teach them. And God is doing this for Jonah. He's trying to help him discover how incorrect he is in his hatred towards the Assyrians. And whether you're a teacher, a parent, a pastor, an evangelist, or just a member of the body of Christ, when you're correcting or teaching someone, be wise and follow God's example by lovingly and patiently asking questions to help them think through what they might be missing. It may take time. There's patience involved. And of course, there are other good methods of uh, correcting and teaching, and there are even times for harsh rebukes. Uh, But I'm just saying this is one important biblical method of teaching and correcting we see in this passage today, which, again, is to graciously ask questions. And just a last thought on this point, really quickly. Not only is God showing love by the way he's correcting Jonah, God is showing love to Jonah by the mere fact that he is correcting Jonah. 
because correcting someone is actually a loving thing to do because it, it shows that you care about them having truth. You care about them by wanting to share what you know is true and is helping your life to, to, to them. And so it's not always easy to do in a loving and patient way, but it is loving in itself. But God's perfect. He demonstrates perfectly how to do this in this text. And so we should try to exemplify that in our lives to others. Well, now that we've examined Jonah's prayer, let's move on to the next section in chapter 4, which is going to be about Jonah's suffering. Jonah's suffering. This is the second heading. And this is where some might say the plot thickens. So it's getting a little bit more intense in this passage. Let's read verses 5 through the beginning of verse 8. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And we'll, we'll stop there. So again, now we're in our second heading, talking about Jonah's suffering, and the roller coaster is definitely continuing. And uh, let's walk through these verses in this section about Jonah's suffering. In verse 5, Jonah leaves the city and makes himself a booth, the text tells us, or your translation may some, say something else. But uh, what is a booth? Uh, you may be thinking a vocal recording booth, if you're like me, because I, I make music, and so that's where my mind goes. Or you may be thinking of those red booths in England, those like phone booths that people uh, use, or I don't even know if they use them anymore, but they're like a staple of England, right? Uh, but no, both of those are wrong. Uh, Jonah wasn't going to record a verse uh, on his new rap album, Straight Out of Nineveh, and he wasn't uh, going to make a phone call to uh, try to figure out what, you know, what to do next. Uh, a booth simply meant some sort of makeshift shelter, uh, so possibly made of rocks, possibly a tent, we don't really know, but it was somewhere where he could hunker down, have a little shade, and uh, sit and wait to see what might happen to the city. And of course, we know very well Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites, so as one commentator puts it, he probably hoped to see a great show of fire and brimstone. And I totally agree. Jonah was probably thinking, just maybe, perhaps God will still destroy Nineveh. Maybe they're going to mess up, and, and God will still destroy the city, and, and I would get a lot of satisfaction out of that. So I'm going to go watch. I'm going to go sit outside the city and go watch. And um, the next verse uh, talks about how God, verse 6, while he's sitting in his shelter, God caused a plant to grow up over Jonah's head to provide shelter and shade for him. Now, uh, when I read this for the first time, my initial question was, why did Jonah need a plant or a leaf to give him shade and shelter if he already made himself a shelter, right? It's a logical thing to think about when we just read the other verse that he already has shade, uh, but I think the answer is simple. I think it's that Jonah's shelter wasn't sufficient. So God raising up the plant was an additional shelter to help fully cover Jonah's head from the hot sun that was beating down. And uh, just a really quick thought on that. Isn't it so relevant to us that all we try to accomplish or build 
on our own, is never complete, fully successful, or sufficient without God's help. Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from me. But praise God, he helps us and provides for us even when what we put forth is so inadequate time and time again. All right, so I just wanted to say that really quick. Back to the story. The text says now that Jonah has the plant over him, that he's exceedingly glad. It's that word again, gadol, that I mentioned earlier. So he's greatly happy right now. He's very satisfied with the comfort he's getting from this plant. He's at the peak of the roller coaster now, uh, eating some popcorn, waiting to see what will happen to Nineveh. But it doesn't last long. As verse 7, God sends Jonah right back down to the bottom again by appointing a worm to destroy the plant. And, uh, And so the plant dies. The plant is no longer providing that shaded comfort for Jonah. Some type of worm that God made uh, ate the roots of the plant or ate the plant, but either way, the plant is dead and not providing that shade. And not only that, but God intensifies Jonah's suffering by also appointing the hot wind and the sun to beat down on Jonah. Obviously, we again see God's sovereignty over nature like we've been seeing through the whole book, Uh, but in this scenario, God uses nature to First, give Jonah some relief, and then God uses nature to take that relief away. And uh, we're in one of the hottest parts of the country, and so I'm sure we all can relate and understand the uh, terrible feeling it is when you're out in the sun and it's beating down on you and it's super hot. And so who's looking forward to the next few months in the Arizona or Phoenix heat? Okay, none of us, none of us. Okay, good. Well, to help us relate even a little more, um, imagine for a second, it's the middle of June on a very hot Saturday afternoon, and you just got out of a convention downtown. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's a coin collecting convention, whatever you guys like, some kind of convention, and you realize that you parked very far away as you get out of this convention. And so uh, your walk in the 120 degree blazing heat is going to be painful, it's going to be miserable. You have to walk really far to get to your car. Uh, But when you finally make it there, you jump in, turn on the car, turn on the AC, full blast, you start driving, and a few minutes in, you finally get to that point where all that icy, cool air is just blowing throughout your whole car, and you just feel such relief, right? But then, all of a sudden, you're on the highway, and your car breaks down uh, out of the blue. You can't figure out what's the problem. You can't fix it, and you're stuck there in the heat once again. How would you feel? if that happened to you? How would you respond in that situation? Right? You kind of be like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I just walked all this way to get in my car. I finally got relief, and now it's taken away from me. Well, that's what happened to Jonah. Right? He wanted this relief. He got it, and then it was taken right back away from him, almost in an instant. Now, uh, if we were in that scenario, we may not always have the, the urge to respond in a godly way. Am I right? But it does remind me of when Job did respond in a godly way to an even more devastating event. Job had his wealth, his health, and even his family taken away from him. Yet, he rightly concluded, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's one of the main applications that I want us to see from this section of chapter 4. And it's what God was showing Jonah as well that when God gives and takes away, 
That's his prerogative. And we should praise him either way. We should have the attitude of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians when he said, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. But notice what Paul says. This attitude is something that he has learned. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I don't think Paul just learned how to be content by someone just telling him, hey, you need to be content in all circumstances, right? It it probably took the experiences that Paul had, the myriad of different seasons and challenges he went through to, to get him to the point where he can say, I have learned to be content in any season of life. And church, can I encourage you today with this word? If you're in a season of plenty, praise God and be content. If you're in a season of empty, still praise God and be content and learn to be content in that process. If you've had one of the most difficult seasons of your life recently, if you've had things that broke your heart and devastated you, still learn to praise God and learn to be content even in that difficult situation. Because God has a purpose for all the pain that we go through, as well as for all the joy we experience. And hear me out, I'm not trying to minimize the pain that any of us have been through, as it is real, and we should weep together over some of the things that we've been through. So I'm really not trying to minimize that and and what it is you're going through. But I am trying to maximize your view of the purpose of that pain. Sometimes God wants to teach us something through it. Sometimes it humbles us. Sometimes it stretches us and grows us. Sometimes it exposes idols or false beliefs in us. And in all circumstances, God wants us to see his love and comfort through it all. Though we don't always know the reasons why we're going through types of suffering we may go through, we can trust in the one that does know the reason. And let us remember that God is not only sovereign over nature, but God is sovereign over every part of our lives. There's meaning and purpose in every part of our lives, and God will lovingly use it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, according to Romans 8, 28. So let us praise God in every season. Let us try to look to learn something in every season. In this case, God, as a loving father, is using suffering to discipline Jonah. And so that's the way God is expressing his love in this section of Jonah, as a loving, a loving father who's disciplining his children. So sometimes, when we're going through suffering, maybe God's disciplining us. I'm not saying every time, but sometimes God may be using it to discipline us. Now at this point, uh, we've looked at Jonah's prayer. We've looked at Jonah's suffering. And finally, we're going to conclude the chapter and the book by looking at God's lesson. God's lesson. Let's read from the second part of verse 8 through verse 11. It says, And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So here we have the final conversation between Jonah and God. And there, there are a lot of parallels with the conversation that we already looked at at the beginning of chapter 4. If you notice, Jonah again asked God to take his life, put him out of his misery. But this time it was also because of physical suffering he was going through and the perceived injustice done to this one plant. And then God also again asked Jonah the question, is it right for you to be angry? And this time specifically, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? Now here's where the roller coaster that uh, Jonah is on finally takes some twists and turns and is going to come to an end. And this time Jonah actually responds to God as opposed to the first time when he remained silent. And Jonah said, why yes, yes I am right to be angry, angry for the plant and angry enough to die. What audacity that Jonah has to speak to God in that way. But of course, Jonah responding in this way is playing right into God's plan to teach him a lesson on love. God set up this whole scenario of growing the plant to give him shade, destroying the plant to uh, allow him to suffer, and uh, bringing harsh weather on him, all for this powerful teaching moment right here. The culmination of Jonah's entire journey is coming to a head with what God is about to say. And what does God say? Look at verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now, what is God trying to teach Jonah here by saying this? What is God getting at by making this comparison about Jonah's compassion on the plant and God's compassion on Nineveh? Well, he's trying to help him see how perfect God's love is and how imperfect Jonah's love is. Remember, Jonah thinks it's morally wrong For God to show Nineveh mercy and compassion. But God is showing Jonah the true bankruptcy of his position and the foolishness and the self-centeredness of the love that Jonah is loving with. You see, because Jonah was showing a type of affection, but it was affection only for the things that served him, only for the things that benefited him, right? He was full of joy, like we mentioned earlier, to receive salvation from the fish He was very happy when he got the plant to cover himself, but he didn't care an ounce about a great city of at least 120,000 people. He only cared about one, good old me, myself, and I. What a stark contrast between God's love and Jonah's love. And those 120,000 people in Nineveh are even described as not knowing their right hand from their left meaning there is some type of spiritual and or moral unawareness that they had. Some commentators and theologians say this phrase is referring to children because they haven't really developed a sense of responsibility or right and wrong yet. Um, Others say it's just uh, the Ninevites as a whole were somehow 
morally unaware or ignorant. But either way, God's point is that the quantity and quality of these people in Nineveh, in this great city, are much more worthy of compassion than a single plant that just came up in one night and disappeared in one night. So in this teaching moment, in an instant, with one simple comparison, God exposes Jonah's twisted versions of love and of justice. God's word is so clear from the Old to the New Testament that all people are made in God's image and all are inherently valuable and loved by God because of that. God says in Ezekiel 18.32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And even further, not only is God's love for humanity so great, he's given us eternal hope and relationship with him, but his love even permeates to all of his creation, maybe not in the same way, but it does permeate to animals and plants included with the ending statement and also much cattle, right? It kind of seems like a maybe abrupt way or uh, kind of an interesting way to end God's lesson. But he's saying, I love, I love all people on the earth and I love the animals and it's all my creation. It's all good. From Genesis, he made it perfectly good. And so it's valuable before God's eyes. And so who's in the wrong? Jonah, of course, because he's only loving the things that will benefit himself. Uh, now, as some, some of you know, uh, Megan and I also serve on the Our Kids team uh, in the other side of the building, uh, teaching three- to five-year-olds. And uh, it can be challenging at times, but it's always a blast uh, serving over there. And one of the most challenging things to teach a three-year-old is to consider others more important than themselves, right? Recently, we were all building blocks together. And it's so funny that to some of them, it's morally okay if they knock over someone's blocks that they've been working on for like five minutes. But if someone knocks over their blocks, it is the greatest moral evil that anyone could have ever done. <laughs> and they're just throwing the biggest fit, right? Why is that? Well, of course, it's because they're three-year-olds. They're selfish and immature. They think their blocks are more important than others' blocks. That's the type of childish thinking that Jonah was encapsulated in. It was an immature and selfish type of love, which isn't really love at all. You see, he wanted salvation and comfort for himself, but not for the Ninevites. Now, I'm sure you can see some of the applications from this for our lives, but I'll mention two very briefly. Uh, number one, we should value all people and want all to receive salvation from sin through faith in Christ. We shouldn't want to keep the message of hope from anyone, no matter if they are our enemy or not, whether they have wronged us or not. We should desire that all turn to God for forgiveness and salvation. We have to love with a biblical love, church, with God's love, which is patient and gracious, slow to anger and unselfish. And number two, the second thing we can take away for our lives today uh, is that we should value all human beings over other parts of creation. We can't love animals or plants or other perishing things more than our fellow man. 
Now, this can honestly be a real thing where people are so obsessed with their pets that they love their pets more than they love people. Uh, Kyle actually just shared a recent survey with me uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's just perfect for uh, this message, so I wanted to include it here. The survey went like this. It was on social media very recently. It said, if your dog and a human stranger were drowning in the ocean and you could only save one of them, which would you save? And uh, keep in mind, there were a total of 60,000 participants in this survey. And uh, guess what the majority was? Save the dog. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Save the dog. 53% said they would save my dog over a human stranger. And 47% said the human stranger. That's just a twisted value system of the world that we have to be careful not to fall into. Megan and I just got a puppy a few months back, and so... Uh, you know, he's super cute, and we love him, and we understand, I understand that temptation, but there should be a chasm between how much we love people, how much we value people, versus how much we love and value animals, plants, or other, or, or inanimate things. So we have to love with a biblical love, church. All right, well, now that we've looked at uh, these three sections of Jonah Chapter 4, Jonah's prayer, Jonah's suffering, and God's lesson. I want to wrap up with one final thought. I mentioned at the beginning of the message how uh, this chapter and the whole book uses the Hebrew word gadol, meaning great. The book of Jonah uses it over and over and over. Jonah was called to preach to a great city. God sent a great wind and a great storm when they were on the ship. The sailors were greatly frightened when they found out uh, what Jonah was doing, Uh, but then they ended up greatly fearing God in a good way after the storm stopped. God appointed a great fish to save Jonah. Jonah was greatly displeased at Nineveh's salvation and then greatly pleased at the plant's shade and comfort. But in all the greatness of this wonderful drama that unfolded in the book of Jonah, Jonah was missing God's great love. He was missing God's great compassion. Jonah was missing God's great patience, God's great mercy, and God's great grace. This chapter and the entire book was a lesson from our creator on love, but not just any love, a great love, the highest form of love, God's love, because God is love, according to 1 John. So church, don't miss God's great love for you and in you. And don't love with an average type of love. Love people with a love that is patient, slow to anger, and faithful, because that reflects the character of the one who created you, who loves you that way. Of course, we're going to fail. But let us strive for that. Now to those who, listen, uh, who are listening who may not be believers, God wants you to experience his great love as well. But right now, whether you acknowledge it or not, you're standing condemned before God. You're separated from God because of your sins and there is judgment coming just like there was for Nineveh. And there's nothing you can do to earn your way back in a right relationship with God. You may try to uh, be a better person. You may try to escape the judgment in that way, 
but it's not sufficient, just like Jonah's shelter wasn't sufficient to cover him. We need God to provide a covering for our sins. And he did that with his son Jesus coming to this earth, taking the penalty that we deserve for our sins. He bore the wrath for us. He took the place of punishment for you and I. And all we need to do is simply trust Jesus, repent of our sins, and believe in Jesus, what he's done on the cross, his resurrection, that he's coming back one day. If you repent and place your faith in him, you will experience his great love forever. And not only that, he will teach you how to love with a great love as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great love. We praise you and we worship you. We honor you. Because you loved us first, Lord, we respond in love. We respond in praise. We can't thank you enough. We can't fathom enough the grace and the love, Lord, that you have given us, especially through the cross, through your son dying on the cross for our sins, rising again. God, we praise you for that. We praise you for the story of Jonah. We thank you that it has uh, impacted us to, uh, it, to a way where we can praise you greater. We can praise you for your sovereignty, for your mercy, for your grace, and for your love. And you demonstrate how we should act. So may you help us to live out this message. May you help us to bear fruit. May this message be planted in our hearts on good soil, that you may be glorified through us, God, that your church may be unified and flourish, God. We give all the praise to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.